This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. From Flint to Philadelphia, from Hollywell to Hollywood. Rob Ryan Red is a brand new Wrexham AFC fans podcast by Nathan Salt and Richard Fay. Now, maybe you're well-versed in Wrexham history, or maybe you're new here, so here's a few things to jog your memory. Here is Vose. Great dribbling by Don Vose. And still, Vose, he gets past another! Oh, what a goal! Don Vose! One of the goals of the season! He has toyed with the defence there! And that is remarkable, the ball boys getting involved. Conor Jennings, the captain, Wrexham's top goal scorer, 13 for the season. 14! Wrexham lead! It's Wrexham 1! Chester Nail! It's McDonough for Wrexham! Still Jerry McDonough! It's Pat Caroline! McDonough around the keeper! Wrexham! Wrexham! Need to the lead, ladies! If yesterday was a Black Friday, but today is a Red Saturday! Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Rob. Ryan Red. I've actually stolen Rich's job for this. I'm doing the intro. It's Nathan as always. Rich is joining me and we've got a special guest as you can see by the title. Now it felt like coming up to a game at Edgeley Park, huge game. We haven't been there in, in, in quite a while. It felt like who better to get on than someone who has had feet and is still keeps an interest in both camps. So I, I, I got my contact book out and I said who can I go and get this week and I managed to get James Jennings spent three and a half years at the club came in under Dean Keats played under Graham Barrow for that little period after Sam Ricketts had gone and he talks all through that and and that innocuous exit for Sam Ricketts before the Newport game he talks all about Brian Hughes playing alongside Sean Pearson who is unsung hero is at the club loads of stuff in there about his time at Wrexham and also gives us gives us some interesting facts about Stockport and, and how they're getting on and, and why their slow start can be turned on its head against Wrexham. So enjoy the podcast, enjoy the chat with James Jennings. Do give us a like and do comment your favourite stories. Do get in touch with us on Twitter at Rob Ryan Red or find us across the various Wrexham fan Facebook pages. And you can email us as well, 
robryanred at gmail.com. Do get in touch. There's been some nice messages recently. Big thank you for all those that downloaded the Louis Malt podcast. But without further ado, let Rich introduce James Jennings. So there's only one guest we can have on the podcast this week. Wrexham versus Stockport is a standout fixture in the National League this weekend. It'll probably be the standout fixture if it was in League One or League Two as well. And the only guest we could have on is James Jennings, a player who's played for both clubs. James, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And we were just talking there. Nath, you'll be in Stockport for the match this weekend. Are you looking forward to that one yourself? Yeah, I mean... We sold out, what was it, 1,700 tickets, Rich, in less than an hour. Some people say in 20 minutes. You know, clearly a massive game. And there's a lot of crossovers, as we were saying before we come on, you know, a lot of ex-Rexon that we know in that Stockport team. And I think we own one as well. You know, they came to the race course last season and, and did a real job on us. You know, um, McCauley Southern Hales, obviously a Welshman himself, I, I think is a brilliant player. Like, I think he's really, really good for this level. And I think there's others in that Stockport team, which the amazing thing when you're looking at the Stockport team now, you're thinking that squad is so talented on paper. And for some reason, it's just not clicked at the minute. But like when it does, they're as good as you're going to get front to back. I think, who is it in goal? Hinchcliffe, Madden, Southern Hales, Hogan, you know, Rooney. There's so, I mean, we've got a good squad. Don't get me wrong, Paul Mullen and others. Yeah, there's two football league squads. And I guess yeah. that's... What makes it so exciting, isn't it, James? The week, this fact that this weekend as well, it seems really, you know, on paper evenly balanced. Even if maybe Wrexham don't have the form going into it, but on the other hand, for for Stockport, they'll be saying, you know, we have to really have that moment where they're still take flight. Yeah, that's it. I think you know, on paper, this is something that you'd see in League One, um, League Two at least, and um, I think the you know the crowd on Saturday and the atmosphere as well. It's going to be, you know, a really, um, really big game. You know, it's going to be one of, for me personally, it's a game that you want to be playing in as a, as a player. Um, you know, um, both clubs, big fan bases. And, and yeah, albeit we've had a slow start to the season. Um, but also, you know, it's a game, you know, we're preparing to and it could, could actually kickstart our season and get us going. And, um, you know, two, two big clubs that both favourites to, to achieve something this season as well, you know, with a lot of pressure, but um, even for a neutral, you know, a neutral coming to watch the game, it'd be, it'd be a really good experience watching it. So, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to the game on Saturday. Yeah, a friend of mine actually said, you know, could I get a spare in the away? And I said, absolutely no chance. You know, it's, it's a really, really big game. And just something about Rex and Stockport, I was actually saying to my dad before that that was the game I was mascot for back in 2005, Rich where Juan Ugarte turns up and scores a hat-trick at Edgeley Park. And I bang on about that game so much because it was just the day I was a mascot. But, James, I guess you're, you're probably best qualified to talk us through some of the players that, that we should be looking out for in that Stockport team. I mentioned a few already, but having been in that dressing room and, and seen the players, and, and Connor's still there, who we'll get on to later, what kind of players and what kind of quality of Wrexham coming up against? Real quality, it seems like. I think... Um... You know, Rex, I'm going to be facing a, a team that has got a mixture of uh, experienced players, players that have played higher up, that have got football league experience, um, but a good blend as well, similar to Wrexham. You know, 
good balance of younger players and experienced players that have been brought in from the football league um, to try and help us, you know, give us that extra bit of experience and have achieved promotions as well in the past. You know, there's, there's a good a good mixture from both teams and, uh, you know, the likes of Paddy Madden, as you mentioned before, and Scott Quigley, who's been out injured. So, you know, he's not going to be playing Saturday. Um, John Rooney, you know, uh, Vanarama played the season last season, scored over 20 goals. Um, Macaulay, South of Males, as you mentioned, obviously had a big impact in the game, but was at the race course last season. Um, and uh, we've got fairly a fairly good-sized squad. You know, we, we, we've trimmed down from last season. I think we had over 30 players last season, which is always difficult at this level because, you know, you're trying to keep people happy and um, as much as you can rotate it, you know, there's all, you know, there's the downsides to that as well. So we have trimmed it down a little bit. <clears throat> we've got um, a lad from Manchester United on loan, um, Will Fish. We've got a lad from Aston Villa on loan as well, Arjan. So, mm-hmm. which is a little bit unheard of at this level, you know, getting that type of calibre of player on loan. Um, and that's something that, you know, the club's trying to create is to build a relationship up with the Premier League clubs where they can try and get, you know, a player from the Premier League as their first loan, um, loan them out to, to us. And, you know, we kind of nurtured him a little bit and given that experience and development as a player, which is obviously key for the first loan. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we haven't had the best of starts, but, you know, that can soon change, um, whether it's Saturday or not. You know, I'm still fairly confident, as you mentioned, you know, the the, the strength in our squad and the players that you, you, you mentioned. So, um, you know, I've got no doubt that we'll turn that around soon. Well, you you know, you've you've been around the game long enough, played what over over five hundred games. You know that a game like Saturday, as much as there's an element, it could be daunting. It's a big game. Wrexham are a good team, but it's the type of one where but both sides can really kickstart their season. I think you know we've been saying on the pod that we're waiting for Wrexham. I know they beat Dagenham at the weekend, but we're waiting for that statement win. And I think even if Stockport maybe aren't the team, they're still seen as our big rival you know both got a lot of money and investment if we take you back to the start of the time at Wrexham you joined us on loan you know Connor had gone by that point but had there been a conversation between you two about what's Wrexham like you know did you know much about what you were actually getting into coming in then on loan yeah I knew knew plenty about the club you know when Connor signed for the club um, I was aware of you know I've been played at Wrexham previously as well over the course of my career but I think getting a little bit more of an understanding about the club with the, you know, the background and the fan base and uh, the stadium and the floodlights, you know, I can go on. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, it was always a, a club that I wanted to play for and um, two clubs that I really wanted to play for throughout and it was Wrexham and Stockport County and fortunate to play for both of them. But um, when I was at Forest Green, Gary Mills actually tried signing me in the car park after the game. <laughs> um, so it was lined up um, at an, early, an earlier stage than when I actually signed. But it wasn't until I'd went on loan to Morecambe when, um, when I was at Cheltenham and I couldn't sign for another football league club. And that's when Dean Keats rung me around Christmas time and said, look, you know, do you fancy coming on loan? And um, I think that showed, you know, my commitment to coming to the club because at that point it was a, very much in a transitional period. I think the club was around 17th, 18th in the conference and mm-hmm. I was dropping down from the Football League, albeit I couldn't sign from the Football League club anyway. But I think my intentions from, from that minute really was uh, not only from just being talked into it from, from Keatsy, but 
to to join the club and you know to to have a you know enjoy quite a bit of my career at at Wrexham and be successful. And um, you know I did join at that transitional period. There was a lot of players coming in and coming out and. No disrespect, but there's players there that, you know, you, you look at it now and you think, you know, probably not the standard that you'd want at the club. And that's no disrespect to the players as well, because there's a lot of players there that were really good. Um, in fact, my lad, Curtis Tilt, I was speaking about today and he, he happened to be in the team that day. And I was playing with John Rooney and Anthony Barry and uh, Mark Carrington. So, you know, there was, there was plenty of quality in there. And, uh, you know, Keatsy kind of persuaded me to come down and, you know, I was you know, really happy to make that move. Yeah, you're right in a way that it's uh, night and day. For, you know, we don't need to name some of the players in that dressing room, but, you know, what we've got today, it, it wasn't good enough. You, you, see, you joined, we, we, we were on the slide massively, and, you, you know, yourself coming in and, and Dean, and, and you made a couple of changes, and, and obviously Steady does, and, and was able to kick on. You talked about coming in there um, and some of those players. I mean, when you, when you arrived with Dean there what did you make what was your sort of first impressions of Dean because I'm sure you'd have come up against him as a player and you know he's well respected as a player and and, and we love him as a player at Wrexham as a manager how did you find him I mean I'm, as you said he didn't try and sign you in a car park but uh unlike Gary Mills but uh you know Dean as a manager what did you make of Dean um at first you know I as you say I knew Dean from playing against him come up against him and everyone know what he was like as a player. He was passionate, wore his heart on his sleeve, loved the tackle, very competitive and, you know, played in a really successful period at Wrexham, albeit, you know, uh, you know, won the trophy, but didn't, didn't get promoted in the league, but, you know, which was very close. And, um, you know, that, that was appealing for me. I wanted to play for a manager like that who, you know, was passionate and a bit like myself, really, on, on the pitch, kind of leaves everything out there and, and and also, you know, Dean was like that um, as a manager as well. You know, he's still in his early stages. And I think he really did steady the ship. You know, he, he wasn't scared of making big decisions or or telling people or players um, what he thought. And at that point, that transitional point, I think that got Wrexham back to the level of where the fans mm. seen the progression, where the players were starting to, you know, leave everything out on the pitch and, you know, we come very close, you know, um, <clears throat> I think it was the first stint, I had six months on loan and then, and then another six months before he we went to Warsaw. So I enjoyed my time with him, you know, he motivated me, motivated a lot of players and we were doing really well at that point. Um, could have been different, you know, if you didn't go to Warsaw, would, would, would we have had enough to go up, you know, my guess is as good as yours, but at that point we felt really confident. You know, we were a robust team, we're solid, um, hard to score against. Um, not the prettiest on the eye, you know, as, as people probably have the views on it, but, you know, we're effective and teams found it difficult coming to play against us and we were in a good place. Um, and then the second spell as well, a difficult position for him to come back into, but... but when he returned, I mean, he, he signed me at the club and, you know, that was a big move for me moving to, to Wrexham. So, you know, I, I feel most respect for Dean and, um, you know, he's done a lot for the club. You know, the club's moved on now and, you know, that's, that's football, you know, it's disappointing for him that he's, you know, he was replaced in the summer, but that is football, you know, he's probably, 
you know, if Wrexham look at it either this season or next season, you know, they can look back and say, you know, Dean actually did play a good part in, you know, steadying that ship and getting the club back to the progression that it needed. Yeah, he's going to be an important part of that journey, like you said. And I think you, you spot on there. We say it on the pod quite often that, you know, there's no no one really better at coming in, getting rid of the deadwood, getting the standards back to where they need to be and just getting everyone focused on one goal. And in your first loan spell there, one of my favourite moments and one of the few positives that season was York away. That picture as well of you celebrating with the away fans is one of the highlights of that season. Uh, going to play Gary Mills's York side away from home. What was the mood like in the Wrexham side? Did it really feel like we want to get one over the miles who've just been sacked and, you know, give these fans that pride back and, and restore that that feel-good factor? Yeah, it, it definitely did feel like that. I mean, I didn't really have any um, kind of emotional attachment to it as much because, you know, I was a lone player and I hadn't worked under him and um, I'd only come up against him. And the season before, you know, his team was really good. They were playing good, attractive football and, you know, they weren't bad at all. And um, so, yeah, for me personally, it was more the excitement of the fans, how many fans we brought to an away game like that. And that was my first proper taste of an away day for the Wrexham fans. Um, and one of the big reasons why I joined the club. Um, but then there was that extra incentive as well for the players who, uh, you know, to maybe get one over on him. But that's not really for me to say because, I, you know, I didn't really have really shared them feelings so that's not me sitting on the fence either that's just, <laughs> that's just the way it was I think it just felt like a big game and um, you know they were they were fighting to, to stay up and uh, we didn't really have anything to play for apart from pride like you say yeah. and you know we had a good little spell there where we went on a good run and it was a dis- disappointing start to the season so we had a few games where you know we started to turn up and started to play and the fans were getting something to, to look forward to. There was one where, Rich, you're talking about big games. I think it was must have been like the second or third, fourth game. So really early on in, in your loan spell, we went away to Chester. And uh, I feel like I remember you, you getting booked. I can't remember the challenge, but I feel like we had quite a few bookings in that game. We drew one all. And uh, and I just wonder really what, penalty what you game. I mean, I can't. I mean, one or I mean, I'll try and have a look. Rooney, Rooney scored, yeah. Rooney scored for us, and then um, Allaby scored for them. Allaby scored a penalty for them. Okay. But you know, going away at Chester, obviously, that is a game that we haven't had for a while, given they've been in the league below. But it, it's always like horrendously fierce in terms of you know the fans, and it's very, very edgy. I mean, coming from outside, you know, you're not maybe fully aware of that, like toxicity of that derby. Did you remember anything about that that game in terms of what it was like playing Chester? Um, yeah, I did. They, I mean, they were up there with some of the best games that I played in. And I think the best preparation I could have had for that, well, <laughs> I don't know if it was because I might have got a little bit overhyped for that game. But Joey, um, Joey Jones in the change rooms before the game said to me, this is the, you know, the biggest derby I've ever played in. And I've played in some big derbies and I knew about Joey. Some of the younger lads didn't, but, you know, given my, my dad, had, you know, grew up watching him play and, and Connor as well when he was at the club, um, had massive respect for him. Um, so, you know, that really hit home how big of a game it was and the bubble matches and just the whole build up to it, you know, um, mm. the, the build up from the fans, the hostile, you know, atmosphere warming up. 
Um, so yeah, you know, I kind of, I kind of knew what it was, and probably sometimes got a little bit overhyped with them games, but honestly, up there with some of the best games I've played in my career. And Joey's come back now, which is one of the best things that that people think's been done under the new regime. Did you get many? You, you touched on there about him telling you about about uh, about the derby, and he always seems to just know what to say. He's got such great experience in the game. Did you get many conversations with him as kind of one of the more senior players who could appreciate? Because I mean, uh, you know, I've said on the record before that someone like Joey should should have a statue at Wrexham, you know, for what he's done, and and he it's maybe lost on some younger fans just how good a player he was and and everything he's done for the club. So you know, your memories of Joey would be good to get, I think. Yeah, I mean. I, I spoke to, when he was at the club, I spoke to Joey every single day. He'd, he'd literally share his stories. And he it, it wasn't one of those older older pros where he was always talking about himself or, you know, it was all about him. You know, he'd, he'd literally start off by asking you how you were and how your family were. And and he was just a great, is a great, you know, down, down to earth, humble, most humble guy you could meet. And just little takeaways you'd take away from him, you know, like, his advice or his stories and it'd probably be be myself or some of the other lads actually asking him about stories from back in the day and when he won the European Cup and playing for Liverpool, playing for Wrexham, playing for, for his country, um, playing in front of big crowds, you know, a big banner still at, I don't know if it's still there, but a couple of years ago, big banner in the cockpit at Anfield and just just to see how he was every single day. I was I was absolutely gutted when he left. I really was. I thought, you know, someone like that, you, you know, you really need to make them a focal point of the club. Um, so when I, you know, when I found out that he's come back to Wrexham, I was absolutely buzzing, um, as everyone else was. So, um, not seen him in a couple of years, but I'm glad that he's keeping well. Yeah, and maybe when we do talk about exits now as well, James, looking like you said into that that first full season with Wrexham, I mean, when Dean did actually leave the club what was the mood like in the dressing room at Keats's exit from from Wrexham because like you said it did feel like the momentum was was building and we were starting to show signs of progress and as supporters you can't begrudge him the fact he went to his boyhood club and how much that meant to him and you know he got to fulfill that that dream he's always had but did the players feel like you know there was a missed opportunity there that the momentum had been halted a little bit yeah definitely yeah it, it definitely did because uh, we felt confident we felt we we had that momentum, um, and I think the way that we played that you know we're, like I said before we're robust, we're solid, hard to play against. Sometimes that gives you a little bit more confidence than say being um, you know a, a, a really good team on the eye and flexible, expansive, playing you know attractive football because you're probably a little bit more open and exposed to conceding goals. So um, there's like you know there's probably less risk the way you know that we were playing so it did it did definitely halt a, you know our progression that season um but then you know on the flip side for Dean to, to move to his his hometown club you know a, a club where he grew up at and uh, in league one as well it's an opportunity that he, he couldn't really turn down and you know <laughs> I mean the funny thing is it happened a year later for us um you couldn't write it really looking back at it now but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't hold any uh, judges uh, against Dean for that. You know, it's, uh, at the time, it was very, you know, it was very raw and, you know, there was a bad reaction on some parts for it. But, you know, looking back at it now, um, 
it must have been a really difficult decision for him and you know it's one that he would have he wouldn't have just said yes to straight away well we were right up there you know what I mean it was when you look back we were I remember I went away to Eastleigh and they scored in the like 94th or 5th minute and I remember I was gutted I was just thinking like it surely you know and I went away to Ebb's fleet the game after and we got we got beat 3-0 and and at that point I just thought and, and I, I you know I, I was angry at that time because I was thinking it we're so good and we're so consistent and said to Rich before we come on you look at that back line you looked at Rob Lainson who's still there now you had yourself you had Sean Pearson you know you had kind of Manny Smith he's kind of like we barely teams barely scored against us so to sort of it all some, not come together. Like you say, who knows if Dean had stayed, had we gone up or not, speculating to accumulate, we don't know. But it must have been so, you know, such a long season to just for it to kind of fritter away at the end for for Andy as well, because Andy Davis was taking the team and he was in a difficult position. And and Carl Darlington, who, who Louis Malt spoke about highly recently. What, what, what was it like for them, do you think? I mean, how did you get on with Andy and Carl? Yeah, I think I think that was the most difficult bit was the fact that they didn't replace Dean. Um, we kind of just seen the season out, and it was, you know, we couldn't buy a win towards the end, and I did feel sorry for Andy. Um, he was kind of put in a position that he couldn't say no to. You know, he's he's got a lot of love and passion for the club, um, and he just wanted to kind of help out. Uh, I don't think he really had a decision. Do you know what I mean? He was caretaker mm-hmm. manager. Uh, Andy's a great guy. Um, really got on well with him um, but you know there was a lot of pressure on him as well it's not a job that he's done before um, he's been an assistant he's worked with the youth and there's a lot of pressure put on someone to, to kind of manage the club till the end of the season um, given that you know his, his manager's left and gone to another club as well so that was a difficult decision for him and you know he had the help of uh, of Darlow as well um, and there were doing everything they could. You know, they were, they were working tirelessly trying to um, steady, almost steady the ship again. You know, it was like going back round in a full circle. So, um, you know, fair play to them. They just got on with it and, you know, they got a little bit of stick on the way. And, you know, it's difficult. You know, ultimately it came down to what we did on a Saturday and it wasn't always down to just them. It was obviously the players as well. And, but yeah, that, going back to what you said, that probably did, you know, kill the momentum a little bit. But these things happen in football. Yeah. What happened again in the next 12 months could have been dealt with a lot better as well. Mm-hmm. But um, at that point, you know, these things do happen. You know, it's happened to me previously in my career. I need to clear up, actually, that I made a mistake. If it wasn't Rob Lainton in goal, it was the Chris Dunn era. If long, yeah. Let's not forget the Chris Dunn era. Mm. Remember as well, at that point, we had uh, the ever-experienced Dave Raven at right back. I was, I was struggling to think of who we had on the other side, and I was thinking, definitely we had Jennings. Obviously, Sean and Manny were quite famous. Kevin yeah, Roberts came in, didn't he? Roberts Kevin came Roberts. in, but, you, you know, someone yeah. as experienced as David Raven in there just, yeah, f- f- slipped my mind. Yeah, well, yeah, I think uh, right back, at that point, we had uh, Kevin Roberts, David Raven, and Cara playing that position. Mm. You know, like, um, and you know, and we had a lot of clean sheets, as you say. You know, three, three, a lot good experienced players playing at that, and Manny and uh, Sean in the middle yeah. as well. Now, I hope you're enjoying today's episode. As always, you can get in touch on our socials. Our Twitter is at Rob Ryan Red. Our email address is robryanred at 
www.thepodcastmaker.com and if you are new and this is your first time listening to myself and Rich, do go back and check out the old episode. We've got Curtis Obeng talking about the 98-point season. We've had Adriano Mokon talking about working with Dom Vos and Gary Mills. We've also had Adrian Chislevich on talking about the FA Trophy final. So do go back through the catalogue and check those. Right, back to the episode. How yeah, did you feel guess, playing alongside Sean? Sorry, yeah. to read. No, I was yeah, going to say, uh, to take that as well, is James, the, the squads you were part of really did pride themselves on defensive work as well, didn't they? Was that something that, as a collective, you did really sort of say, this is our strong point. If we if we keep clean sheets, then you're going to win more games than you lose. Um, yeah, I think the recruitment side that summer, uh, Dean made it quite clear that he wanted to build from the back upwards. Um, from his experience, obviously, being quite a defensive midfielder and um, almost pragmatic when he plays, you know, always like trying to lock it up at the back door. And he felt like if we had a real solid defence, you know, um, we've got more chance of winning, more chance of winning games. Um, you know, the, the, there's pluses and, uh, the, you know, there's pros and cons to that. You've got keeping all the clean sheets, but then, you, you know, are you going to score many goals? But you know, if you keep a clean sheet, you've got more chance of winning a game. Yeah. Um, and that worked for us. It did work for us. Um, I signed on a permanent. He brought Sean Pearson in. Um, he brought he brought money back. He signed Kevin Roberts. Um, you know, he's a very solid defensive right back. Um, Carrick could fill in there as well. Um, and he signed Sam Wedgbury as well. You know, holding midfield I played with previously. And, you know, that almost becomes six players. You can look at the back four, but you've got the goalkeeper. And then you've got Sam Wedgbury that was playing all the midfielder as well. Um, and then you had lads up top that were working, you know, working the nuts off as well. So it wasn't just a defensive unit that, you know, was grafting away for that. It was it was all over the pitch. So, so you do get your first goal under Dean. He was still there, you know. Woking at home, it was a 1-0 win. Your goal got us the three points on the stroke of our time. At being at the race course, what, what, what was was it? The race course? We were at the race course, yeah. Yeah. What was what what was it like in terms of you know? I know it's 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 a, it's a bit of a silly question. What's it like to score a goal? But you know, a race course is really busy. It's a massive ground at that level. Really passionate fans, and to get the goal that, that made all the difference that day. What was that like for for you and, and your family, everything like that? Yeah, um, having my family watch me at Wrexham, it's probably I'll probably look back and in 10, 15 years, and that's what I'll remember, is my family watching me at the race course because they came to every home game. Um, even if Connor was playing at home at, say, Tranmere, um, I still had, you know, three or four minimum family watching me. So, yeah, that was that was very proud, but also, you know, playing in front of the, the big crowd as well. Um, like I said, you know, I'm not just saying it, but I think every player wants to play at the top level. If you can't play at the top level and you want to play at the top team within that league, if you you know, and and, and then you have the choice of playing for either the top league or the, the the biggest club, there's quite a bit of a difference. And I played at a few of the clubs. I played at some clubs that have got you know good fan base. Um, but having been at Forest Green, no disrespect to them, and then you know a year later signed for Wrexham or six months later signed for Wrexham and be playing in front of four, five, six, you know, as successful we were getting throughout the season, it went up mm. pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a good feeling, scoring the first goal. 
you, you come you come through this is what it was like to ask sort of senior pros is you came through obviously the, the Man City Academy or you spent a bit of time there. When you're watching, you know, you've been in dressing rooms, you've been a senior pro, when you're watching these youngsters come into teams, do you find it's tricky at that national league level? Does, you, you're talking about, you know, Will Fish at Stockport and, and others, you know, Wrexham have had sort of loads of loanies over the years. Do you find that a lot find it hard to make that adjustment? Because some of our best players have been ones, you know, that have been there, done it, got the T-shirt and just know the grittiness of the league. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question because um, is, is everyone's first loan going to be successful? Probably not. You know, um, a lot of, a lot of, you look at a lot of players that have done that in the past, probably suggest that, you know, maybe the first loan isn't successful. It might take the fourth or fifth one. And then they've, they've you know, they've, they've learned to trade a little bit. They've understood the, the uh, intensity of the league, the, the physicality. Um, a lot of them do have the technical side, but it's just having that more, more of awareness of how to play um, within that league, dealing with uh, players that they're not going to come up against in the 23s. And um, I, I never see like a loan move as a bad loan move for, for a young player that's going to go out and play the first couple of games because they might not play well, but you know what they'll learn from that experience is only going to put them in good stead for the future. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, I think especially when I'm doing work at United, they're very. I think the the United head of academy said that as well. You know, there is no such thing as a bad loan move for a young player because even if you're not playing, even you're losing, you're still going to learn some valuable lessons. And James, speaking about your own career, there, the fact you played for Wrexham and Stockport, two of arguably the biggest ever teams to play in the national league. What sort of difference was there because like you said you've played for some other teams in, in the lowest divisions who maybe don't have the same sort of history and the same sort of regular attendances as Rexman Stockport what is that extra pressure like do you really feel that on the on the weekend that you're you've really got like a whole town behind you that you can't let them down for me yeah but I I think I, it took me till maybe I was 28 29 and I started dealing with that pressure or playing in front of a crowd and just being comfortable playing football, even though, you know, it's 10 years on from making my first uh, professional appearance. It does take time to adjust. So I do understand some younger players, um, not necessarily younger players, but some players that might not be able to cope with it because it is quite hard to deal with. Um, I ended up using it as more of a driver. Um, got to a point where... I just stopped thinking about what people thought of me and just thought, you know, as long as I know I'm giving it 100%, that's all that matters. Um, and as I'd done that, I just felt that the more I played, the you know, the more well-supported and more the fans got behind me. And and also, you know, fans, <laughs> as much as it might not be nice when you get a bit of stick from the sideline, but ultimately they're entitled to the opinion. And, you, you know, you're going to get your booze, you're going to get your, you know, your, your praises and sometimes, you know, you might be taking a corner and you hit the first man and you get some guy in um, row C giving you a bit of stick. But, you know, that's part and parcel of football. You, if you want to go into it and make a career of it, that's just how it is. And, you know, Stockport, Wrexham, big clubs at this level, the bigger club at this level, the more fans they are. So the more fans they are, the more you're going to get, you know, the good things and the bad things. And, you know, the, you just got to... Um, you just, you just got to deal with it, really. You're you're in that nightmare position where you're constantly next to the crowd. 
and you can't bury yourself in the middle of the pitch like a CDM. You can just sort of like shackle themselves away. You know what I mean? You think, oh, you say to the CDM, so oh, it didn't really have a good game today. And I'm like, no, but you bet you couldn't hear so and so in row three and the fullbacks playing great and there's still yeah. still someone's moaning about your crossing or or moaning about whatever. Um and then obviously on the flip side, you read the next to the manager's ear if you're on the other side, depending on what, yeah. what half you're kicking. So, um, yeah. you know, talking, talking of managers, you, you've come in, Dean, you've stayed, you've stuck it out, you know, you've joined after the loan. Then we get Sam Ricketts in and people aren't really sure what to make of it. It seems quite a refreshing appointment. It seems like a young up-and-coming coach and we hit the ground running under, under Sam. What was he like in terms of, he comes in, was there conversations one-to-one? Did he address the group and say, look, this is what I want? And what was it that like to sort of that crossover? Because all you'd known is Dean to that point at Wrexham. Yeah, like I said, you know, I loved working under Dean. Um, there, there was a lot of passion there, you know, and we we were both like that um, as, you know, he, him as a manager and me as a player or um, even day-to-day. Um I'm not saying that we clash, but you know, like we're just both passionate people, and um, and 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 that was good. And then and then we had Sam Ricketts that was appointed in the summer. Um, it's his first job, first job in football as a, as a manager. Been doing a bit of work at Wolves, and um, I'd spoke to him on the phone over over the off season, and um, I'd had a holiday booked uh, at the end of June because we just had our first our little boy, our our first child. And only six weeks before, so I couldn't go away with you know, the, the baby till about six weeks after. Um, but the holiday was booked, so you know, my first phone call, I was calling him up and asking him if I was okay missing the first week of pre-season. And I thought, you know, he's played in the Premier League, so I thought, you know, that's unheard of. Um, it, you don't even get that R-level professional. You know, if you're a part-time team, then maybe. But um, it was an awkward conversation. But he'd obviously done his homework on me and spoke to. Um, Darlow and um, and and other coaches, you know, realised that I wasn't going for a jolly up. You know, I was going on the first family holiday, so um, you know, I respected him straight away for that. And um, and then I came back in and had a had a tough pre-season, but his attention to detail and his pre- you know his his preparation and knowing what he wanted just surprised me straight away because it was his first job. Like he'd been managing for about ten years, so I was really impressed. We had, um, I think, we had a good preseason. We worked a lot on shape, um, a lot of drills throughout the course of the week that were, you could say, was quite monotonous, but it was high tempo, high intensity. Uh, fitness levels needed to be really high. You know, very demanding, but very encouraging as a person as well. The type that just come up to you and put his arm around you. But then, you know, two minutes later, he'd be trying to get the most out of you. Um, so, yeah, it was it was quite challenging, but in a very good, positive way. And in terms of the actual style of football as well, I remember first few weeks of the season were really enjoyable. I remember Raquel Pike scoring back heels in like three games in a row or something. We seemed to sort of tear teams apart when we got going. Was there more of an emphasis on the attacking qualities the season after then, do you think, in, in what Ricketts wanted to do? Or was it still that same basis of keep your clean sheets and then let some of the flair players try and nick you the matches? Yeah, I think I think Sam came into a really good group um, and he, he also was able to add to that group as well. And he kept 
the back line, you know, there's a there's a few players that left in the summer, but he, he pretty much kept the you know the back four, um, and then he brought Rob Layton in as well, so that obviously added a lot of strength, and then he brought a few more flair players in, like you say, but then you know he also brought in uh, Stuart Bevan, who who was experienced, you know, who was robust, would literally, you know chase down a packet of crisps, you know what I mean? He'd literally do it, it, it'd run for 90 minutes. So he's quite clever in that. But I think the biggest decision that he made was bringing Graham Barrow in. I think he was at him, Sam Ricketts, first job, young manager. And he brought in experience as well. So there was a good balance there. So someone to kind of um, give him that sounding board and being a, someone to lean on. And it was almost like good cop, bad cop. Um, yeah, and I was like, and he brought Yossi Askelein in as well with his experience. So um, we were probably a little bit more attacking, um, but we still had like the same like attributes to the season before, where we were, you know, very tough to play against. And I think the clean sheets that season carried on. I love that first game under Ricketts. It was Dover away, and I remember I said I'm not, I'd moved to London by that point. So I said, oh, I, I reckon I can do Dover now. It's not as far. I'm not going from Wrexham. Is that fond of? And I went and fond. I, I didn't take any sun cream, Rich. And it was the away end. I was scorching. I was like burning to a crisp. And I was like, uh, they got a penalty. Effiong steps up and Lainton saves it, low to low to one of the sides. So I'm absolutely bouncing. Every, the whole away end's like lunatics. And then Fondop scores the weirdest overhead kick I think I've ever seen him. I don't know what it was. Just like a weird Fondop shape of a man, and it went in. <laughs> and uh, and I remember we had, we used to have a rubbish record against. Um, it's our first ever win. Okay, yeah, it? and 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 it used to be a horrible place to go, and and I remember Sean and it'd be James and others came over at the end. That honestly was one of my favourite Wrexham away days. That because it was like super sunny summer, Sam Ricketts, and it must have been you thinking that the defence stayed the same, and you must have been going into games thinking defensively we're one of the. Well, that's what I felt like we were one of the best in the league defensively. I thought we're we're going to have one of the best records by a mile, even though we were more attacking than we were under Dean. Yeah, definitely. I've, I, you know, played. To be fair, I've been fortunate to play in some good defenses in my career. Um, we had a good defense at Forest Green as well. And um, but yeah, that period, that period for about it was about a year, a year and a half maybe. It, it felt really solid. Felt something that you know, as players, we were going into games with a lot of confidence. Um, and we were, you know, we always felt that we weren't going to lose. Um, I just wished that had a clean sheet bonus, but I never did. <laughs> yeah. I should have, you need to get onto your age. You should have had that written in. Uh, we'd, we'd have been bankrupt, actually, I think, if you, Sean, and, and, and all of them had had clean yeah. sheet bonuses. We we're talking about players, and not it's not the one I'm going to ask about Fondop, because he, I don't think even he knows uh, his own personality and what he's like. Um, but one of the ones, we had a big debate on, on the pod over the recent months about, a CDM and the importance of, you know, someone to anchor your midfield. And at that time we had Brad Walker in. And I remember late night in a way you went, didn't you, Rich? And I think Walker goes off injured and he struggled a bit thereafter. We, he, he gets, James, he gets, he gets used a lot as an example when we're trying to find players that we can't seem to find like that. Like but, Brad at at the moment, we haven't got a defensive midfield, have we, that, that yeah. everyone agrees on. Dave Jones can't play sort of a full ninety every week and exactly. two games a week. So. so, so, so Brad is that one that people think is a great player. What was he like to play with? So I have someone sort of screening that back line. As good as the defense was, I mean, he just sort of sat there and really did a job. Yeah, I mean, 
it's probably only more the, the the new crop of players that are coming through that can can do both. Um, that's no disrespect to the, the like the older the older players that would literally protect the back for you know tackle head. Do you know what I mean? You know, Keatsy had a had, had obviously a wonder the left foot when he done it. Um, Sam Wedgbury was you know was a proper engine, but you'd, you'd you'd put him down to being proper engine and you know a grafter. Um, he had the technical side of passing it and everything, but Brad Walker was obviously um, a technician playing CDM, um, and he had a lovely strike at the ball. You know the way he used to strike a ball in training every single morning. Um, and he was, you know, he's he's obviously playing in the football league now, but he, he had the the technical ability of, you know, playing in the championship at least. Now, I hope you're enjoying today's episode. As always, you can get in touch on our socials. Our Twitter is at Rob Ryan Red, and our email address is Rob Ryan Red at gmail dot com. And if you are new and this is your first time listening to myself and rich do go back and check out the old episodes we've got curtis obeng talking about the 98 point season we've had adriano mokon talking about working with don vose and gary mills we've also had adrian chislevich on talking about the fa trophy final so do go back through the catalog and check those right back to the episode and and you know i guess i was going to get into all my highlights that season but it comes you know on Boxing Day. Before aye, that, aye, we aye. obviously, you know, history repeats itself again. And particularly for you, James, like you said, the, the year before, having already seen, or well, in the same year, seeing seen Dean leave and going for his boyhood job, which, you know, we can't begrudge him too much. In fact, it does kill the momentum. It did feel like something was building under Ricketts. And like I said, I thought the football playing was great. And I think there's quite a bit of a revisionism. Obviously, you know, he's got the Sammy the Snake reputation amongst Wrexham fans because of the way he left. And you can understand it from the fans' point of view. But you know, it did feel like we were getting somewhere under him. What was it like? I mean, it was crazy the way he left the club in the first place because we were playing Newport and he was told he couldn't come to the game, etc. When did you as a squad sort of first get wind that that Ricketts could be leaving? You know, I think it might have been the morning of the Newport game. Mm. Um, there, was, there was hearsay and there's rumours about. and um, But he'd, he'd prepared for the game. And he wanted to play the game. He, you know, he wanted to manage that game. And then all of a sudden, we're hearing that he wasn't allowed to manage the game. Um, but then he was being respectful about it as well. I don't think he was, you know, saying that he. We were preparing for a game at the end of the day. You know, I think it was FA Cup. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. FA Cup. So, um, you know, he didn't want to get in the way of our preparation. But obviously, clearly, things were going on behind closed doors that we didn't know about. And I don't think Sam would have, you know, backdoored it, you know, 24 hours or the day of the game. You know, I do believe that he wanted to play that game um, as more he wanted to be manager and then sort it out the week after. Um, and he was still possibly unsure about going in the first place. Um, I can't comment any further than that because they're, the, they're only the details that I do know. Um, but it, it was a bit of a shock. You know, we were flying at that point. Um, I felt we were going to go on and win the league that season. And that's not being, you know, that wasn't being overconfident, but we were playing some great football. Um, we were battering teams as well. Um, There's a real good feel around the place when we're playing games from the fans, from the outside. We're, we're playing teams and teams looked scared when we played against them. Um, 
so yeah, it, it was awful timing. It was really bad timing. You know, whether yeah. that was him deciding to leave or whether, you know, he was allowed to leave. I don't know. I'm not sure, but... I, I think Paul Rutherford said recently, I think he, he did a podcast recently after he left, and he said that, you know, the, a note went in the WhatsApp, obviously players have the, the WhatsApp group and everything, and, and, and he said the same, you know... Sam actually did want to do the game, but it, given the way the fan base was going and, and the anger that was sort of brewing about him leaving, because it was a very different situation to Dean, and, and and we felt like we'd been cheated twice. People, like you say, people were angry at Dean for for joining his boyhood club. So you yeah. can imagine us giving a, a, a Ricketts his first job and, and and a big team and a big job, trying to get Rex to the football league, and he goes. But my memories of that game, I know you came off the bench in that game. That was one of the games where I really got an appreciation of Stuart Bevan because I was one of those silly, silly football fans that didn't appreciate what he was like. I thought this this bloke is not going to do the business up top, and yet he was brilliant in the air. He fought, he, he out jumped defenders that were better than. I think he lobs. I, th- I think well. he lobs. The, I think he lobs the keeper in that game. Yeah, and then is that Dimitri? Was someone cleared it off the line? Yeah. We, um, yeah, we batted we batted Newport in that game. So, no, so then, we didn't win that game. No, no, not I had no idea. Um but so Graham ba- Graham Barrow takes charge of that game. Yeah. And like you say, Bat Barrow. I mean, you know, this good cop, bad cop, but what was he like as a because he's got such high he's got such great experience and he gets such good reviews. I mean, how did you find him? Was he was he quite a straight talker? Was he arm around the shoulder type? What was he like as a as a kind of coach gaffer? He was um a bit of an old school, an old school man. I won't say coach or manager. He was just he was he was one of those that you, you bit of a granddad type, but like a cool granddad, <laughs> <laughs> like a cool granddad. Someone that you when he spoke, you listened, and he had that presence. He had that authority, and he was actually he was actually a gentleman as well. Mm. You know, he was a really respectful guy, and um, someone that we as players, you know, really respected, and. And to be honest, I felt quite sorry for him as well because, um, you know, he's had a great, he's had a great career. You know, he's 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 been part of some, you know, big teams and been successful as well. And he made it clear from day one that he didn't want to be manager. Yeah. Uh, he's all. He's also. Um, he was being very loyal to the club as well. Um, you know, when Sam left, he said he's not leaving because he's got a contract and he didn't want to walk out. So. You know that gained quite a lot of respect from the lads as well because we felt like oh, someone wants to, to be with us, and um, you know Sam made his move, and I mean he was probably one of the one of the few managers I was most impressed with in terms of how he coached and how he managed for his first job as well. Um, I was really impressed, um, but he decided to leave again. That's football, so probably a little bit more raw because it was the second time in a year. And um, and at this point, it's you know my third manager gone in in about a year, a uh, year and a half. So I'm thinking, you know, what's going on here? Um, and Graham made it clear that he didn't want to be manager. Um, so he took on the role as caretaker manager. We ended up having that you know well-known big win on Boxing Day against Salford. Huge, took yeah. us to second of the table as well. That I mean, yeah, it's easy to think, isn't it, that Ricketts left and we just lost form and sort of fell. Do you know what I mean again that the 
we sort of lost confidence or whatever, but we still kept up the momentum a bit. And that Salford win is literally one of my favourite ever Wrexham matches. And everything clicked with Tollett coming and having an absolute masterclass. What, a player, what was it? Yeah. What was on the Salford game in particular? Like it's Boxing Day. Everyone knows that the bumper crowd's going to be in anyway. Was there sort of a a different attitude that was like, let's make a statement. You know, we've lost our manager, but we've not lost our passion. We've not lost that faith. Let's go batter these boys. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think Graham gave us the trust of not bringing us in on Christmas Day. There was rumours that we were going to be in on Christmas Day about a week before. And um, we were given the trust to prepare well for the game on Boxing Day. There was going to be a big crowd. I think there was about, I think there was about 8,000 fans that yeah. day. Mm. I think that was the most I'd played in front of that and the playoff game against Eastleigh. Um, so, you know, there was, there was a great atmosphere around the place and every, everything just clicked, really. I think we just took our chances. We were clinical. Um, the fans got properly behind us. There's always that extra Boxing Day buzz, isn't there? Yeah. There's more people that come and watch and just get excited by it. And, you know, Salford just, they had a stinker. You know, it turns out they were in on Christmas Day. You know, they were the ones that were, you know, training on Christmas Day. And, you know, it turns out that we, you know, we just got the better of them and um, everything just went our way. Is yeah, that... I, felt so, I felt sorry for, I was going to say, Rich, I just felt sorry for Graham Barry because I remember going Bromley away and he was there, you know, doing his job. And, and he'd, he'd said so clearly that he, he didn't want to be the number one and, and like you say, I think his old school mentality just as, as a bloke meant that he'd signed a contract and he was going to honour the contract. He wasn't going to rip that yeah. up. But I remember yeah. going Bromley away and, and we just signed Jason Oswell and I've never felt more sorry for a player in my life. I mean, Bromley centre-halves are about 10 foot two and we were just playing, you know, we, we, had, we had, didn't have a sniff all night, basically. Bromley's a horrible place to go anyway, a tricky ground. And I remember just looking across at Graham Barrow and I thought, I, I actually feel really sorry for you because you're, you're a perfect assistant manager to guide a younger coach. Um, yeah. But to, but to you know, you know, I, I just felt like that was. Um, yeah. I think he, I think he, I think he ended up getting a little bit emotional about it as well because he'd almost been forced into it. And because we had the big win against Salford and um, we didn't have anyone lined up to take over. And it was almost like, you know, you can, you do the job for us and he, he genuinely was wanting to honour his contract and and didn't want to leave and do, you know, try and help out, but made it very clear that he didn't want to be manager. Um, and then he took it and then it, it didn't surprise me that he uh, resigned a couple of weeks later. Didn't, didn't, it, was too, it was too much for him. I think he, he knew what he could contribute towards football and he was happy with that. And he worked hard with that, but the pressure of being manager, you know, wasn't for him. Yeah, it's understandable. And yeah, I don't think there's a Wrexham fan who would you know, hold anything against him for that. He did give his all. Like you said, we don't have anyone lined up. We went to the world of foot golf instead to get our new manager. Brian Hughes yeah. comes in in February. From the players' point of view, obviously with hindsight, I know you don't want to maybe speak to, you know, you've got, you'll give your opinion on it. Um, were the players just eager to get to work under whoever was the new boss at that, at that point? Because like you said, it's been now a month and a half since we'd had that permanent number one in charge. Um, yeah, we, we were, I think we were excited. We were excited for a new manager to come in, um, especially um, a calibre of uh, Brian Hughes, you know, player that played in the Premier League, player play that got sold for £1 million from Wrexham. 
of affiliation and emotional attachment to the club as well. So we knew that it meant a lot for him. Um, Sevon was, you know, excited to impress him. You know, he was, he was a very good player as well. Um, so, you, yeah, you've got that extra little bit of motivation to impress the manager, um, a bit like when Sam Ricketts come in as well. So, um, but yeah, I think we we probably could have done better. I think I will look back at the Leighton Orient game and think that was probably a defining moment. You know, if we'd won that, things could have been a little bit different. Um, and then after that, we kind of fell off a little bit. Yeah, we seem to sort of lose that confidence and self-belief at that stage because, like you said, Leighton Orient then sort of looked like the title winners and it looked then like, oh, we've got to go for the playoffs. It already looked like there was a lottery going into those sort of final like, month or so, a couple of months of the season. But did the players still really believe that they could go up? Because I always thought that, you know, Eastley, I thought we'd beat them in the semi-final oh, because I, I thought was, we're better Rich, team than scarred. them. I was scarred then, by that, Rich. I'm yeah. still scarred by that goal, that, that Danny Holland goal. Yeah, but that, that's, I mean, that is a goal. You know, I, I, I mean, ask an Eastley fan if, if Kieran Kennedy scored against Eastley and they'll say he did. And and it went to extra time and and I thought, we'll, 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 we'll just find a way to do it. It's race course, packed out. And then that's probably one of the best goals I've ever seen at the race course. I mean, Masanka might argue that his overhead kick or wherever that was against is up there. Or Don Vose may argue that he got it. But that, the way the, the race course almost like went completely silent. Like like just an echo chamber when Danny Holland scored that and and I after a long odd season where lots happened Ricketts has gone you know Brian Hughes come in did your heart just sink James when when that went in because you must have thought that yeah. this is now it should end yeah I think that kind of when someone scores a goal like that I think we did everything we could to win that game um you know we left everything out there it just wasn't going in the ball wasn't going in and then when Danny Holland scores a goal like that. You know, one probably the best goal of his career. You're thinking it's probably not our night. Um, and I remember being absolutely, yeah, gutted for a long time about that result. And it, it happened to us last season in the playoffs. Felt very similar when we played against Hartlepool. You know, we had more chances than them. Um, they had probably one clinical chance, um, and that's what ultimately cost us. And straight after, you know, that that rawness of the game and the feeling. Just reminded me of the Eastley game. How long does it take to get over? Like a play, you know, obviously I've I've never played the game at a good level, and and so I don't. I obviously I get hung up on results, but I have to move on. I'm just a fan, and up it's ups and downs. But as a player, when you've put so much uh, the cliche blood, sweat, and tears into a long hard season, you've gone through multiple managers. Does it linger for the for the summer? I mean, do your family are they do they have to play a big role then in in kind of just getting out your system and you know, you've got your kid to focus on and, and children and wives and girlfriends and fa- mother and dad and everything. How's that to get over? Because it feels like that stuck with a lot of Wrexham fans for a while after such a long run. Yeah, I don't think it I mean, it took, took quite a while for quite a few of us uh, to get over that one. Um, yeah, you've got your family to kind of cheer you up, but you've always got it in the back of your head because that's the last kick of it. You know, that's that's your last game before the, the next game of the season, which is probably three months later. You know, the playoff seats into the first few weeks of um, your off-season. And then, you know, you can't you can't put it right till the next game. And then you're coming back in pre-season and it lingers a little bit. Um, and then that can affect the progress of, of the following season as well. Talking about 
some of the players, you know, to, to kind of move on to some of the people you played with. Luke Young got made skipper and, and Phil Parkinson waited a while and, and we thought, right, who's it going to be? And we saw Jordan Davis with the armband and, and Reese Hall Johnson and others. And he, he bounded it around. Rob Lainton wore it for a bit. And it was almost like, who replaces Sean Pearson? I mean, there are not many like that in the, in the game. Someone has proper presence and every Wrexham fan felt, right, we've got Sean on today. You know, we're, we're fine. We've got Sean Pearson on and, you know, great fans' favourite, all those pictures of him delivering takeaways and whatnot. He gives it to Youngie. And, and there was some surprise, him, you know, didn't, doesn't seem the most vocal guy, but is a great leader on the pitch in terms of his, his playing example. What did you make of him on and off the pitch? I've had a couple of conversations with him, but you'll know him far better than me. You know, I was so pleased when Youngie got the armband because, you know, it wouldn't have been the obvious choice for some. Um, but I think what he's contributed to the club the last couple of years um, and the way that he plays, he fully deserves it. And sometimes you think of a vocal captain or leader, you know, that is organising the team and shouting and, um, you know, is well heard. But that's not always the case. I think Youngie, you know, he, he could come in one day and you wouldn't hear him for the whole day, but you knew he was there because of his presence when he played. Um, and, and he would rally the lads up in the changing rooms before you go out. But he was one of them that didn't need to, the way that he played, the way that he wore his heart in the sleeve, um, the way that he didn't miss a training session. I don't think he missed one training session when I was there for the whole time that I played with him. Um, even with, you know, dead legs, he just gets up and gets on with it. Um, never too high, never too low. And I think, I think personalities like that aren't always like the biggest ones that you hear or you see straight away. But they're the ones that, kind of leave a, an effect on the on the team and you need you need players like that so yeah I'm absolutely buzzing that Youngie got the armband and I guess where we talk about individuals as well uh, the centre-backs you played with like we've all touched upon Sean Pearson and Manny Smith what were they like I mean there's someone here there who's very vocal and someone who's quieter but does his talking on the pitch in Manny yeah likewise a little bit um, similar to Youngie um, Manny was an absolute rock at the back um, hard as nails um, the most chilled out guy ever so laid back he was almost let, lying down you know he would train dead chilled out but then it you know it'd get to a game and you just could always depend on him um, yeah he was a man of very few words but you know very loyal guy very uh, very good friend of mine still Um and a lot of respect for him. Uh, really disappointing for him to get that injury. Um, but, you know, he's had a great career, solid player, and, um, you know, the fans did really love him there. But before we kind of wrap up with some just, you know, quick fires about goals and teammates and whatnot, talk us through your decision to leave Wrexham then, because, you know, it was understood that, you, you know, there was a deal there if you wanted it, but you wanted to go and, pursue pursue another another challenge which you know perfectly you know, I mean we would say foolish you know why would you ever want to leave Wrexham um but you, you chose to go in and you linked it with Connor at Stockport what was the thinking there did you kind of take your time did you know as soon as the season ended you want to, what was that thinking or did you know months in advance you, you were ready to try something else um no I, I, the thing that made it the easiest for me 
and it wouldn't have been this easy. But the fact that it was Stockport and the fact that I was getting the opportunity to play for my brother um, made it a lot easier. Um, if it wasn't that, then, well, one, I wouldn't have left the club because I had no reason to leave the club. Um, I was also, we'd also gone through the pandemic, the first start of lockdown and um, everything was up in the air. You know, at one point I didn't know whether I was going to get a club. You know, I thought that maybe my time's up as a professional. Um, you know, it was a stressful, worrying time, not just for you know myself, but for everyone. Um, and then when things progressed and materialised with moving to Stockport, um, it ended up being a really tough decision, even though it's my hometown club, opportunity of playing on the doorstep in front of my, my family with my brother. Um, but still, you know, I had to weigh up the pros and the cons. And um, but yeah, I mean, it made it easier because it was, you know, those two things that I said. But um, I had no reason to leave for Exum. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have left them unless I got released. So um, it did take me a while to get over. It did feel a little bit um, strange, you know, not, not, not driving down the M56 every morning. Sounds like a blessing to me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that no, road. Picking up Mark Carrington and, you know, like the daily banter going in our car school and getting into mm. the ground every day. Um, did take a little bit getting used to, but, you know, I had three and a half years at the club, so um, it was going to take a lot of time to adjust, but um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have done it if it was any other club. Talk, talking about Connor, then obviously he's had his ups and downs, massively, as we know. And, and you know, Rex, I was really proud actually of, of the support that when they came together and we had the t shirts. And, you know, I'm sure for your family, it's quite emotional seeing these two clubs really rally together for a player. And, you know, Tranmere have shown their support as well. How's he doing now? And, and kind of, you know, fans are itching to know that he's, he's on the mend and he, he's doing well. Is that, is that the case? Uh, yeah, he's um, he's doing really good. Thanks. Yeah, he's uh, he's had a, an appointment a couple of weeks ago with the surgeon down in Birmingham where he had the surgery. Um, they feel it's a successful surgery as well, which is to remove the tumor from his shoulder. Um, and then now it's just a case of waiting for a CT scan in next month, maybe. But you know they're happy with the progress that he's made. He can step up his rehab. Um, it's just seeing whether everything kind of knits together now. So, um, but he's in a good place. He's, um, he, he's hopefully got rid of it. Um, it's just a slow process, but yeah, going back to what you said, uh, the support shown from the Wrexham fans was incredible. Um, like, you know, our fans at Stockport and the Tranmere fans, I think it really just show how good the football community is. Um, and it was a lovely gesture from Sean Pearson, Mark Carrington and Dean Keats and, getting those tops done and, you know, the fans as well, you know, really showing the love and support towards Connor and my family. There's some iconic commentary of Rich commentating on a, um, it, it's Connor scores against Chester. Oh, yeah. uh, it was a penalty. It's, is, is it in the and, intro uh, to this podcast, actually? It's, it's on the, in the intro to this podcast. I edited it in uh, when yeah, I made I this. To, when I made, used to get some I, beans, didn't I, when I was yeah, watching and then mid-table oh, Wrexham. Oh, Rich is, Rich is James. Yeah, you haven't heard it. Rich is giving it like it's Champions League final. You know, Didier Drogba at Bayern Munich. Yeah, and, and Connor Jennings. That's what it meant, though. That's what that's what beating Chester yeah. means, though, isn't it? Like, do you know what I mean? So, to us, that is our Champions League final. But, as long as you, you know, beat Con them. But Connor there as well. I mean, you know, both of you gave us great service, and and you know, you've both been at Macclesfield as well, and you kind of you kind of uh, t following each other around, ending <laughs> up at the clubs, and uh, 
but no, it's 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 great to hear that that he's doing well, and I know that you know there's a lot of, lot of concern when when all that came out. But on a, on a happier note, then let's talk about to, to finish off. We'll do some quick fire ones. So, what do you think was your favourite goal at Wrexham? There's one that stands out for a lot of Wrexham fans, but what, what do you think is your best goal at Wrexham or your favourite one? Um, I think my best one was probably maybe the free kick against Harrogate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, but actually, I think my, my favourite one was probably the goal against Solihull at home. Um, you know, we needed that win. Mm. And, uh, there was a lot of pressure on that game. And they were a tough team to play against. And I remember getting the ball off Rothers, having a few touches, and I just hit hit it. It was a hit and hope, literally. I just thought I'd smash it. And it, was, it was a weird goal, really. It went over like the defender's head. Yeah. We had a little wave. What he's waving at, but he he kind of hit the roof of the net, and like the the tech end went mental, and then I remember you smashed it, and yeah, it just kind of sort of like took this really weird trajectory, yeah. but ended in, and everyone was like, "Don't care what's happened, but let's just yeah. celebrate." I think, yeah, I think it sent dodgy Vanarama balls. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, wasn't yeah. wasn't powering my foot or anything. It just done this mad little <laughs> in the air, and then I ended up doing I think end up doing a weird celebration, but I think. Oh. But uh, yeah. you know the Harrogate, the Harrogate one gets replayed a lot among fans, and with free kick, something you really worked on a lot. But you, you're so so deadly from set pieces. It felt like, yeah, yeah. But I've, I mean, I probably didn't score as many as I would have liked to either. Um, and also, I never I've never felt like we got many free kicks outside the box. That sounds daft, but I don't think we did. Uh, maybe we did. Maybe I just wasted them. But. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I scored a couple of free kicks. It was something I worked on. Um, but then, I, I, you know, I, I ended up going off set pieces for a little bit. Um, Marcus Kelly was on them and I ended up attacking them. I always felt like I was more, more of a threat attacking the box than actually taking the corner, um, which worked as well. One question that we ask most guests is who the, their best teammate was, but is that any sort of unsung hero you, you, you played with at Rex and that you thought maybe didn't get the credit they deserve? I know we've already mentioned Stuart Bevan before, but was there anyone who was really sort of technically gifted as well on the training ground who maybe didn't always get that chance or, or the headlines? That's a good question, Matt. Um, I probably look at the period where, I don't know, I think we, we had probably two spells where we were doing well and I think everyone got the fair share of credit. Um, and then there's there probably times when things weren't going well and um, Marcus Kelly was an unbelievable, fantastic player. He really was. He probably... Oh yeah, I remember being so hyped when we signed him, him, and, yeah. him and Wedge that summer. I was like, this is a title-winning team we're getting here. Yeah. Take on my tongue, Marcus Kelly. I tell you that, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and... Um, you know, for his technical ability, he was, you know, and we, we caught him towards the, the later stages of his career as well. But, he, you know, he was a very special, gifted player. And, yeah. Another one that, you know, I still can't believe we let him go with Leo Smith. He scored in that game, the York game, that away day. What was he like? Because he seems like he was a really popular player and you know, he was viewed as sort of a senior figure, even though he was young and he's one of, you know, one of our own and, Joey Jones was in disbelief when we, we let him go. It still seems crazy now. And we, we see him in, in the Welsh League with, with TNS and he's looking really, really good. Yeah, I remember my first game and, and Leo came on. And I think I'd only had one training session. And I was thinking, who's this kid? Um, he's special. And he was only like 17, 18. I was like, 
I've not seen a kid this good at this age in a, in a long time. Um, but he didn't feel like a kid because he had quite a lot of experience. He you know, played quite a few games. And then the following season as well, um, he'd had interest from Liverpool, turned Liverpool down to play at Wrexham, um, as well as other Premier League clubs. Um, and didn't really progress, but I, th- I think as we made that transition and then we brought some older players in and, you know, players that were kind of off in a little bit more and then he had a few little niggles and injuries and I think that kind of um, slowed down the, his progress. But, I think you know, I think he's still doing well in TNS now. He's great. Lads. Yeah. So, I remember always that goal he scored in Portugal as well. That first trip we had in pre-season, he, he won that, that friendly late on. It felt like, God, we haven't wasted our trip here. It was a good laugh anyway, but... You want to win. If you're going to Portugal to play friendly, you've got to win it, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's great experience. I never, I never went out there. Yeah, I never went out there, which is kind of cursing now. But just some, just a bit more, some, some silly ones that we always ask people, uh, and I think I know the answer, but we'll ask you anyway. Who was the worst dressed among among the squads you've been in? I mean, because footballers don't have great. I mean, some of them don't. Some of them are all right and they can dress well, but some of them are horrendous. I'm not, I'm not going to put a name into you. But you got one? Who maybe you think? You, you know what, when you, when you say terribly dressed, actually, sometimes the ones who think they're well-dressed are actually the worst <laughs> dressed. You're right, you know, like, just because it's got a big name on. Yeah. Good, but, you know, it looks like they've got dressed in the dark most of the time. Um, the obvious choice would be Sean Pearson because, you know, he'd just t- turn up dressed like he's um, doing a tip run or something. <laughs> He's come up before, yeah. He's come up before. Yeah. That's what I was saying. I was like, I can't say Sean Pearson, but I, if he doesn't say it, then I'll say it. But yeah, you, then you've got some that were outrageous with, you know, some of the tracksuits that uh, Tumba wore, you know, were, were shocking. But then Cara, Cara, he was a little bit uh, extravagant. You know, he'd, he'd wear something that was a really? little bit controversial, but could pull it off, you know, you know, with his confidence and his I look. like it. Like yeah. it. it was a little it- bit more edgy and <laughs> controversial. He wasn't scared to try some. Yeah, he's trendsetter, great- wasn't he? Not character. Trends- he gets a free pass. He gets a free pass though because he's there for so long. He's such a good servant to the club. And were you doing carpool karaoke when you're driving in together? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, <laughs> we were. We had what- some good laughs on the, on the way in. Any sort of duets that, that that spring to mind that you were, or is it all you? Too, do you take it in turns? Aye, aye, aye. Um, yeah, we probably did have a few jurats. Yeah, he was, he was my roommate. He, you know, he was my uh, car school member, my co-singer. Yeah, we have vocals. Yeah, great guy. He's yeah. he's a great lad, Carrington. And you, you see that thirty-yard screen we scored the other day, or twenty-five-yard screen against Chester. Chester. I was like, he, this bloke can't get enough. He's left, <laughs> and he's still. Sc- he yeah. doesn't need to bother. He doesn't need to bother now about Chester if he doesn't want. He's still doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I know his, his, his wife put it on, and I thought that's absolutely unbelievable. I actually yeah. saw the tweet first. So you know, Mark Carrington, thirty yard scream. I thought, pinch myself. Thought I was asleep. Um, you know, you used to talk about some of the characters there on a night out. Was anyone really tight with money, or was it was it quite a good squad? Because I feel like again, some footballers forget their wallets conveniently when these nights out a lot. Um, I would say tight with the money. Um, yeah, I think there's one or two. Uh, as Sam, as yeah, as Sam Wedgbury would say <laughs> to Marcus Kelly, he's tighter than a, uh, a mouse's waistcoat. There you go. Uh, yeah. Sam Wedgbury's beard is is one of the greatest creations I've ever seen in my life. 
in terms of, I think that inspired me to eventually grow up my face hair. Cause I was like Sam Wedgbury's got this beard all year round. That's like perfect. Um, and I would always go absolutely crazy with Sam. A quick thing about Wedgbury, I'd always go crazy because he would boot it long from the, obviously that you play in the analytics, again, getting it up the pitch. And I would go insane. I would be like, apoplectic in the stand. Like we've got so many great ball players. Why are we booting it to the opposition corner flag? I'm Obviously. pretty sure we had. I'm pretty sure we had this conversation. I think me and James maybe even did like a radio commentary once for like the media team, and someone had texted in with that question: "Why do Why do we knock it long from kickoff all the time?" Yeah, and it was just about trying to push the ball forward or something, and trying to regroup further up the pitch so that the team's on the back foot. The way Wedge done it though, he'd kick it and then he'd like almost try and chase the ball. Yeah, it's like he's playing NFL <laughs> or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. I felt like it was like, yeah, we've done it. Yeah, it's working. <laughs> So anyway, James, you've been very generous with your time. I guess as a final thing, you know, you've you've obviously you made the decision to retire. We sort of round off on that. I mean, I'm asking again a really obvious question, which is not really good at my job, but how did that come about? How difficult was that to make? You know, we, we've seen the statement you put out, and and I guess to to sort of wrap on from that, you know, is there any message you'd want to give to to the Wrexham fans? You know, that now you've rounded your career out. Yeah, it was it was a difficult decision because I think I played the last four or five weeks of the season um, well I actually played the last 25 26 games of the season um, every single game and was feeling really good and then started to feel a bit of an issue with me the last four or five weeks um, I mean I was in quite a, a lot of pain with it but I was getting through the games you know we're going for promotion and um, you know it really meant something so I was kind of putting it to the back of my mind instead of get a scan in the, the off season got beat in the playoffs, um, had an MRI scan and then revealed the damage. So I went and seen an knee specialist. And yeah, I was caught by surprise, to be honest. I thought, you know, probably just need a little bit of a tidy up and I'll be back in six weeks for the new season. Um, the specialist says it's a degenerative chondral defect, and um, which is basically wear and tear. But then I needed an osteotomy as well. So I needed my leg realigning um, with my knee. So it was a it was either that or play for a couple of months and need a knee replacement. Um, so I, I, I didn't fancy the knee replacement at 34, 33, 34. So, and then another one in 15 years. So uh, yeah, it was obviously the toughest decision that I've had to make in my career. Um, but I had to look at the bigger picture. I've got kids, um, or to be active and, and also, you know, your career is going to end at some point. I've been fortunate. I've had 15 years of a professional career so um it is going to end at some point so um i'm eight weeks post-surgery now so still a tough transition still trying to get used to not playing and you know the the, the buzz of playing on a match day and looking forward to to try you know to getting three points on a saturday and the atmosphere playing in games and everything um but it's summer you know i look back on with with pride no doubt uh further down the line Enjoyed every part of my journey, got no regrets. Do you know what I mean? Only regret probably is, you know, not having a little bit more success, maybe getting promoted at Wrexham, but um, loved every single minute of it and, and the support that's, that was shown from the Wrexham family when I retired as well was uh, was quite overwhelming. So, yeah, very grateful for that. 
Yeah, I guess from Wrexham fans as well, we have to thank you, James. Like you said, that yellow card at Chester, you say you left, you never sort of left anything on the pitch, and that's what you know. What that's what we as fans want to see, and I guess now you you predominantly going to be a fan as well yourself, and that's what you'll want to see. And probably this weekend as well, you'll probably see what we'll see some big tackles go in. And I guess your dream situation is probably Stockport win the league and Wrexham win the playoffs, is it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Both clubs in the football league next season. Bring it on. We'll try to do our best if you can uh, stop put up as well. But yeah, like you said, this weekend, it's the massive one. We'll all want to be there. Nathan, you will be as well. And we'll be back on next week's pod to, to discuss how it all went. It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.